The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Uh, it's been a great uh, few days, and uh, certainly uh, last uh, uh, early part of uh, summer when uh, last year, uh, when I had the privilege of uh, Pastor Van Gelder, my older brother, and myself uh, coming out here. Uh, it's hard to believe a year went in a few months like that, and here we are. And I was looking forward to the meeting at that time, seeing the facility the Lord had given has given you folks, and that certainly is wonderful stewardship and a wonderful opportunity for the future. I hope you're excited about Crown Point Baptist Church. I am, and I've only been here a few days. Uh, so it's a wonderful opportunity to see this area of the, of the city reached. Uh, you can't come to Los Angeles without getting a burden. You know what I'm talking about? And I grew up in Chicago, and uh, every time I fly all that old city, I'm thinking, man alive, there are so many needy people in that city that need the Lord. And I kind of gather it's the same way out here, a little different, but same idea. And so been a blessing. Okay, now, First John chapter number 5. Um, I want to preach a simple message. I guess we could call it anything. Uh, I mean, not anything, but there are several, uh, we could call it several titles. Uh, I should say there are several titles I could call it. One would be receiving before you receive. How about that one? Receiving before you receive. Uh, you say, what in the world does that mean? Okay, we'll explain. Another one could be praying with confidence. That makes a little more sense. And so we're going to begin reading here in 1 John chapter number 5. We're going to read the text, and then I want to tell you a story. And then we'll get into it. Verse 14 of 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now that says this is the confidence that we have in him. Uh, let me tell you a little story that um, it'll jar you a little bit, but that's all right. But it's about confident praying. I, I've already referenced my grandmother a couple times in our short time together, but... Um, my uh, uh, grandmother was um, a remarkable woman of prayer, and as I grew up, I, I, I got more and more confidence. Obviously, I thought, if Grandma gets her, she gets her prayers answered, so get Grandma to pray for you, and that's not the point. The point is learn to pray like Grandma, but early on, you know, that's kind of the way I looked at it. It was almost like uh, she had a direct line in. You know what I'm talking about? You ever known somebody like that? Now, I don't believe there's a bat phone in the throne room, but that's kind of the envision I had that my grandmother had a direct line in. She just knew. Uh, it was remarkable. So, make a long story short, my wife and I, we got married in in uh, 1984, and it wasn't long before we realized that um, children was going to be a difficulty, having children. We, we ended up having five miscarriages over 11 years, and uh, during the early part of that, um, we were down in Florida, and my grandmother, I hadn't seen her in a while, uh, my uncle uh, had taken her down to Florida. She was uh, becoming too more, uh, uh, more care than my aunt could give her. Who lived up in uh, up 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 north, and so uh, my uncle took her down to Florida, and uh, she had Alzheimer's and was slowly slipping. It was very slow, but she was slipping some, and so I was down in Florida, and I thought I got to get Grandma to pray while I have kids, and so I called up my uncle and I said I'd like to see Grandma. He said Jim, I wouldn't recommend it. He said she is a shell of the woman you once knew. He said, now, I'll arrange a meeting, but he said, I don't recommend it. I recommend you just remember her like you remember her because uh, she doesn't know names. And uh, but I said, no, I want, I want, I want. He said, she does still pray. That's one thing she can still do. Now, she's forgotten God's name. She calls him that good fellow, but she still prays. Isn't that quite interesting? And uh, so that shows you what condition she was in. So uh, I said, no, I want to see Grandma. So uh, my uncle worked it out, and, and uh, we met at a restaurant, and I will tell you, friend, it was a shock. Anybody who's had relatives who've gone through this, you know what I'm talking about. She was a shell of the woman I once knew. She, she, was, she was a strong woman. I'm not talking about physically, just in spirit. And uh, so um, I'm sitting down. She didn't know who I was. She didn't remember my name. And, uh, you know, she used to have nicknames for me, you know, how grandmother parents are. And so it was just shock. I'm just in total shock. I'm just trying to navigate this thing. And I'm trying to explain, I'm your, I'm your son, Wayne. I'm not sure if she knew who my, her son was. And uh, I'm middle son. And I'm going through all this. And finally, at the end, I thought, well, you know, it doesn't look like I'm going to get grandma to pray. But I'm going to try. That's why I'm here, so I'm going to do it. So I spent a few minutes trying to explain the situation. It's my wife, Rhonda. Doctors say we can't have kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, uh, I don't know what she understood. I really don't. But she prayed, and I don't remember being particularly impressed with the prayer. I really don't. I don't even remember that it was specific. But when she finished praying, it was like God let her come back for a few seconds. Ever had that happen? 
It's like all of a sudden she comes back, that twinkle in her eye, her cute little way, and she put up her hand like she would do, and she said, you've got it. Now, my uncle looks at me. He says, I have never known my mother to say that where God did not answer the prayer. He said, you can pray about other things, but you don't have to pray about having kids. You're going to have kids. <laughs> kind of a remarkable thing. Well, um, we left. I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. I thought about it, but I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. I still prayed, etc. And uh, so uh, that was uh, probably 1988. And in 1989, she went home to heaven. And I, uh, I did remember it. I remembered that what she had prayed. I mean, I remember she had said, you got it. That was really the only thing I remembered. And so it was the early 2000s, and my uncle, who was taking care of her, uh, came up north to say goodbye. He was a paraplegic, had a terrible accident in his 20s, and lost his, his uh, use of his legs. And, and for some other reason, he just, knew, he just knew his time was short, and he, he wasn't necessarily sick or anything wrong with him. He just came up to say goodbye, and he, he died a, a short time after that. But while we're up there uh, visiting with my uncle... Uh, I asked him the question. I said, Uncle Bobby, I said, do you remember the time that Grandma said you got it after she prayed we'd have kids? He said, sure do. He said, did I ever tell you the rest of the story? I said, I don't think so. He said, when you kids left, you know, do you remember back when people used to call you, you and your wife kids, you know, okay. Uh, when he said, when you kids left, he said, I turned to my uh, mother, uh, your grandmother, and I said, Mom, why did you say to the kids you've got it? And my grandmother looked at my uncle and he said this, one, two, maybe three. Now, the remarkable thing is that was 1988. And in 1995, my firstborn daughter was born, Stephanie. 1997, Jana was born. And in 1999, Annalise, who played the offertory, was born. She's almost three. I mean, uh, or maybe three, I should say. Uh, but my, my uncle, uh, my, my grandmother, um, say, well, how did she know? How did she know you're going to have three kids? You know, that's a really good question. How did she know? It's a remarkable thing. One, two, maybe three. Okay, so the point, friends, is simply this, is that um, you can pray with confidence. It does teach us something that I hope will be a help to you, and that's this. Your, this is not the message. Your body can be deteriorating, but evidently your spirit doesn't. My grandmother's spirit was still in connection with God. And she somehow... God let her know, you, that prayer's heard, and, and it's going to be three. Or, you know, and uh, so the point is confidence in praying. So let's ask ourselves the question, wow, that's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, that was, um, I guess, uh, seven years before our first daughter was born, that she said, you've got it. She was in, had been in heaven six years before that firstborn was born. Now, the point would be, okay, how, do, how, how, do, how can you pray with that kind of confidence? Because it was nothing for my grandmother to say, you've got it. I mean, when she said it, you went to the bank. I, I will tell you another quick story. My, my older brother, who's now the pastor of Falls Baptist Church, was struggling. Uh, we had moved from Durango, Colorado to Chicago, Illinois, and it was a move he didn't want to make. I was six years old, so like Durango, Colorado to Chicago, Illinois, I was clueless. I had no idea how dramatic that would be. Do you realize how dramatic that would be? <laughs> Town of 6,000 to Chicago. I'm talking inner city, south side, Marquette Park. And uh, I was clueless. I'm a little kid, but my eighth grade brother, seven years older than I, was devastated. And we moved. He really struggled, really struggled trusting God about that and struggled for not months. I mean, not, I mean, it was a year or two. And um, we moved in his middle of his eighth grade year. This is his sophomore year, beginning of his sophomore year. My grandmother calls, the same grandmother, calls my dad and said, Wayne, I've been praying, and God told me that Wayne Jr. is supposed to go on the Bible lands tour, and God's going to change his life. And my dad said, Mom, it's impossible. All the tickets are bought. There's no way to get a passport. It's impossible. And my grandmother said, well, I've been praying about it. God told me it's going to happen, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, just a short time after that, one of the people in the tour, something happened with his wife. He couldn't go. The tour company let them switch ticket names, and they even said to my dad, you don't need to pay for it, we'll take care of it. They put the passport on fast forward, and my, before my brother could think twice, he was flying across the ocean on a divine appointment. And he walked into the garden tomb, and when he did, as a 10th grade boy, he looked at the empty slab, and it was like these words hit his heart. He is not here, he is risen. And the reality of the resurrection bowled that sophomore kid absolutely over.
And he walked out of that tomb just struck with the reality of the resurrection, realizing the foolishness of resisting God, went out and heard a message preached by a man by the name of Ed Nelson, who's still alive, remarkably. And in that message, my brother completely got right with God. And I will tell you, as a younger brother who witnessed the transformation in his life, I have never seen a teenager more on fire for God than my older brother. Unbelievable. Started public school Bible studies, started public school prayer meetings, brought people to church, witnessed to everybody. It was remarkable. But somehow my grandmother knew it was going to happen. So confident praying. Now, you're out here, you're thinking, now, wait a second, preacher. I, I, I know I've heard some weird things out there in the world, and there are. So let me just make something very clear. What I'm preaching tonight is not name it, claim it. What I'm preaching tonight is he names it, we claim it. <laughs> So please understand what we're going to see here tonight. Let's look at the passage of Scripture, and hopefully it will help us. Look what it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So number one, you've got to ask according to his will. Number two, and if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So number two, you've got to know you've asked according to his will. Because once you ask according to his will, the Bible says he's heard you. And the Bible says if you know he's heard you, you got it. So number one, you've got to ask according to his will. Number two, know you've asked according to his will and thus know God heard me. And number three, know you've got the answer because God heard you. So again, let me say it again. Pray according to God's will. Know you've prayed according to God's will and thus know he heard me because he said he would. And number three, know you've got the answer because he said he'd give you the answer if he hears you. So real simple, the key is to know you pray according to God's will. So when my grandmother said, you've got it, you know what she became convinced of? It's the will of God. And God said that if I pray according to his will, he heard me. And if he heard me, I know I got it. That's how she had confidence. Now you're saying, well, preacher, that sounds awful easy. But there's a real big question. Of the three, which is the most difficult? Pray according to his will. Know you've prayed according to his will, thus know he's heard you. And number three, know you've got the answer. Now for me, I'll tell you what the tough one is. To know that I'm praying according to his will. How do you know it's God's will? Now that is a really good question. Wouldn't you think it is? Because once you know it's God's will, it's a done deal. Now let me just stop for a moment. And could I put a little parentheses in the message that might help you? Um, I think sometimes people think that their prayer life is insignificant. Really doesn't matter if I pray. Doesn't really matter if I don't pray. And they're not really highly motivated to see their prayer life is important. But can I challenge every one of you in this room? There's not an insignificant prayer life in this room. Now let me illustrate it this way. And again, I'm putting a parentheses in the message. We'll come back. Um, I, uh, I believe with all of my heart that God has a plan to reach the world in this generation. You say, how can you say that? Well, I think if he's not willing that any should perish, he's probably got a plan so that everybody will hear the gospel. Now, what? Well, you say, well, Richard, I doubt that's going to happen. Now, don't miss this. If God has a plan to reach the world in this generation and it doesn't happen, what's the problem? And the problem, hear me, is not the plan. The problem is the cooperation with the plan. Because God only has a plan A. When he gave the Great Commission, did you know he only had plan A? You know what his plan A was? People who are saved, you've got a commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So he has a plan A. Now, can I say this, uh, please, reverently, as best as I know how? If I was God, and everybody's glad none of us are, but if I was God, I'd have had a plan B, wouldn't you? I'd have said, now, angels, be ready because these human beings don't cooperate real well. So angels, you be ready, because I'm pretty sure they're going to fumble the football. Wouldn't you have done that? <laughs> I'd have been pretty sure the human race was going to mess it up. I mean, even Christians. Let's ask a question. Have they? And answer in large part, yeah. <laughs> we fumbled the football. But God still has a plan A. Stirring, isn't it? Okay, now let me give you another plan A. Did you know... That God, uh, remember Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray? He said, here's how you need to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is, anybody know? In heaven. i got a question for you today. Was God's will done in heaven? Go ahead and tell me. Was it? Yeah, it was. Perfectly. It was done in heaven. 
Now, it's not God's will for people to sin, so I'm already giving you the answer. Was God's will done perfectly on earth today? And the answer is, no, turn on the news and you'll pretty much find that's not going to happen. didn't happen. Okay, now don't miss this, friends. Yet, this verse of Scripture, God says, I want you to pray. God, I want your will to be done on earth just like it's in heaven. Now, why is that important? Because God set a plan up and he has no plan B. And plan A is this. He gets his will done on earth by you and I praying. So you sure about that? Okay, don't think about it. Let's talk about Elijah. Remember Elijah? He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And the answer to the question is, what happened? It didn't rain. Now, why was Elijah praying that it might not rain? Now, let's just get real basic. And the answer is, because it's raining. Why else would you pray it wouldn't rain? Well, you say, preacher, what's the problem with raining? Well, the problem with raining is this. God had said, if you apostatize, the heavens will become as brass. Had they apostatized into Baal worship? And the answer is, yeah, they had. So Elijah basically says, now, God, you've got a problem because you said if they would go into idolatry, the heavens would become brass and it's raining. And God says, you're exactly right. But do you see it took an intercessor? So what did God say? If you turn back to me, it will rain again. So when there was revival on Mount Carmel, I want to ask you a question. What happened? And the answer is nothing until Elijah prayed. He prayed seven times. And you know what I believe he's praying? God, it's got to rain. You promised if your people would come back to you, it'd rain. Now, God, it's got to rain. Did it? You see, Elijah, I'm convinced Elijah's prayers were essential in God's will being done on earth. Are you seeing it? Do you remember Daniel? In the book of Jeremiah, God had promised in 70 years, you're going to come back from Babylon to the land. So what did Daniel do? Say, whoa, we're predestined to come back to the land. Is that what he did? He prayed. And he fasted. And I'm convinced he was saying, God, you've got to bring your people back. You promised. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, God says something that is stunning. He talks about the people of faith. They obtained promises. Can I say this? Promises are given to be obtained. You know, it's like this. Sometimes people say, you know, you know, I preach, I don't know about that verse, you know, train up a child in the way he's going. When he's old, he'll not depart from it because I know people train him up and they've departed from it. You know what my point is? My point is, if you train up a kid according to, uh, 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 according to God's way, then claim the verse. See, the point, point is, you, God, that's what prayer is all about. It's saying, God, this is your will. This is your will. You got to do it. So a whole parenthesis is simply that praying according to God's will is big business. That means everyone in this room, our prayer life, is very important for God's will to be done on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe God's sovereign. I believe he's in control. I believe all the tension issues of the word of God. But right now, uh, you know, the point is sometimes people all talk about this sovereignty of God. And you know what I find? God's infinite. I'll never be able to comprehend an infinite God. But what I can comprehend is what God says about the human race. And one thing he said is... Your prayer life's important to get my will done on earth. Now, I think we'd all realize God, there's a lot of things that happened in Los Angeles today was not God's will. My belief is this, that if every Christian would do their job praying, God's will would get done. But you know the problem is? We fumble the football there too. So I'm simply saying, if you just kind of say, you know, preacher, I'm really, really not that great a Christian. It doesn't matter what kind of Christian you are. Your prayer life's important. Could I put it this way? We're all on the battlefield. See, and you know how it is. The Dodgers are going to play on, I think it's Saturday night. and Most all the people in the stadium are going to be in the stands. It doesn't matter if a guy drinks his Coke, right? You know what I'm talking? It doesn't matter if he eats enough popcorn. He, the, we can, people could care less what the fans do. It's what those nine Dodgers doing on the field will make the difference, right? Can I say this? There is no grandstands with God. Everybody's on the field. It's, it's, so your, your life does count. And if you think of yourself in the grandstands, you've got the wrong idea of the Christian life. So, this, uh, so, so let's go back to our text here. That was a little parenthesis. So uh, pray according to his will. Know you've prayed according to his will. And know you got the answer. It's confident praying. Now, the question again is, how do you know God's will? 
Well, I've already alluded to this, but let's just kind of say it again. Uh, the, the Word of God, every promise of God is a revelation of His will. Every principle is a revelation of His will. So there's some things that are real easy. Now, like whether or not we're going to have three kids, that's not, that's not in the revealed Word of God as God's will for us. Whether or not somebody should preach or not preach or start a church in Simi Valley, okay, those things are not covered in the Word of God. There are principles. So we're going to come to that in a moment, but let's just stick with the obvious. There are things that are revealed in the Word of God. Several years ago, our team was in a very difficult Christian school. Um, the state, I, I, this is, was not California, but there was a state that had a bunch of businessmen had gotten together, and they'd come up with this big, huge fund. And they funded kids to go to private schools, and somehow the government didn't have, have anything to do with it. So a lot of Christian schools got into this thing, because kids could come, they could fund kids to come to their Christian school. So this Christian school had a lot of kids, and this Christian school was in a very, could I say, without offending anybody, it was in a kind of a ghetto area. So it had a lot of kids from very unchristian homes, if that can make any sense. So it was a really kind of unique ministry trying to reach these kids. And so our team came in, and it wasn't long in the week when you're realizing this is like a public school. Now, they're trying to reach them, but it's, you know, it's, it's, the kids are of that kind of ilk. There's, some aren't saved and just a lot of need. So I remember we were having a prayer meeting. It could have been Wednesday. It could have been Thursday. I don't remember for sure. But I remember the team was really getting burdened because the spiritual need was just screaming at us. One of the girls in a brokenhearted voice quoted a verse of Scripture, which is a prayer. And here's what she quoted. Lord, it is time for thee to work for they have made void thy law. Now, you might recognize that's a verse out of Psalm 119. And as soon as she prayed that scripture, I remember thinking to myself, it was not like there was any feeling. It was like there was no experience. But I remember thinking to myself, that's praying ground. Because if there's ever a place I've been where they have made void thy law, this is it. So this verse, if it applies anywhere, it's got to apply here. And so I began to claim it. I think other team members did. Lord, you've got to work. You've got to work. God, you've got to work because you said you would. Do you know God likes it when we hold, up, hold him to his word? Don't you think that's what Elijah said? God, it's got to rain. God, they got right with you. God, it's got to rain. Notice he didn't give up. Kept praying until he saw that cloud. Okay, it's coming. The answer's on its way. So um, we prayed. And we continue to claim those verses. And we had a good week. Some kids got saved. God was working. But I remember on a Friday night, I remember thinking to myself, I don't think yet we've reached the level of what that verse means. It was our final night. We have a campfire service. And it was raining, so we couldn't have the campfire service. So we were inside having a testimony service. And we'd finished, and somebody came in and said, hey, it stopped raining. We got the fire going. And uh, we knew there were a couple of kids had some things they wanted to throw in the fire. Back in the day, before downloads, we had CDs thrown in the fire almost every week. And I don't remember what this kid had to throw. A couple of them had to throw a few things in. I think there were some CDs, some other things. And, and so I said to the kids, okay, I said, we're going to go outside, go around the campfire. I have a short service out there. And I explained to them, okay, I need everybody to be, you know, just to be orderly. And, and I'm, on, I'm working with ghetto kids. Again, I'm not trying to be politically incorrect too much here, but they're hard to control. <laughs> They don't do what you tell them to do. If you've never worked with them, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so I'm thinking we're going to have a riot. I mean, we're just going to, you know, it's just going to lose control. And uh, sure enough, it didn't happen. <laughs> they walked out orderly, quietly, did everything I told them to do, gathered around the fire. We threw things in the fire. We sang Amazing Grace. And I thought, you know, I think God's working. Thought, oh, great. Got to dismiss, go back into the room for the gospel message. We're going to lose everything. Owe me a little bit. So I say, you know, when we dismiss, I want you to walk orderly back in there. I don't want talking. So I dismiss. And you know what they did? They did what I asked them to do. <laughs> they just quietly walk back in, orderly get in there. I'm thinking, this is strange. So I get up to preach. I mean, we're almost out of time. I preach 15, 20 minutes. You know, just a, sh a short gospel message. You need to be saved. You're a sinner, et cetera. Gave the gospel. Gave an invitation. I don't know what would happen. Fifteen kids get up to go out and get saved. So I lose all my team members except for one. Uh, most of the workers, now in fact, I think all the school workers are out. Everybody's out of the room. It's just me, another team member, and about 70 kids. I was going to close in prayer, dismiss them. Thought it's been a wonderful week, but 
still is a little puzzled because it wasn't what I thought that verse meant. That it happened. I prayed, and while I was praying, I heard some crying. I first praying, look up, a freshman in high school looked at me and said, Brother Van Gilderen, could somebody pray for my daddy? And he began to sob. He said, my daddy's going to hell. And he just sobbed. I had the one team member in there. I said, okay. I said, would you pray for this young man's father? And so the team member prayed. While he's praying, all of a sudden I'm hearing more people cry. As soon as he's done praying and someone else says, someone says, could I say something? Could I say something? We went for 15, 20, maybe 25 minutes. In those kind of moments, I don't know how to explain it. You lose a sense of time. There were two things that happened. Number one, the first theme was a brokenness over sin that caused them to be a terrible testimony to people they loved who were going to hell. I remember one big old boy looked like Michael Jordan, six foot six. The kid is sobbing. His name is Bernard. I told our team member, go find out what's going on with Bernard. I mean, it was organized chaos. I don't know how to explain it. When God moves, he's in control, but it looks chaotic. But it's in, he's in control. And, and this Bernard kid sobbing, six-foot-six boy, just can't even talk. So my team member goes, sits next to him, taps him, Bernard, what's going on? He said, my brother lives in L.A. He's a drug dealer. He's going to get killed. And if he does, he's going to hell. He said, it's all my fault. I'm such a terrible testimony, stinking testimony in front of him, sobbing. I remember another young lady stood up and confessed sexual sin. And can I say this? I, I was probably the most embarrassed person in the room. She used gutter language, the only kind of language she knew. But she was broken, just broken, just sobbing over her sin. And I'll tell you, almost every person in the room was broken, sobbing over people going to hell and over sin that was killing her testimony because people were going to hell. You know, when we finished that night, I said, you know, Lord, you did it. Friends, I've been in ministry for 33 years. I have never seen ghetto kids sob over their sin because people are going to hell. But that night I did. I'll tell you why. Because it was time for God to work. Because he said it is. So clearly the word of God, you can always stand on. God, it's what you said. I think sometimes we get too passive. And this is one of the dangers of a system of theology called Calvinism, which is fatalistic. I'm not trying to be unkind, but the Calvinist joke is when the Calvinist falls down the stairs, he says, well, I'm glad that's over. But the truth is, God is not, you didn't get it, okay. But the truth is, God is not fatalistic. Can I say this? Your prayer life makes a difference. See, what happens when we get fatalistic? We don't pray because it's going to happen whether I pray or not. How motivating is that to pray? The answer is not at all. Do you think Elijah felt that way? Oh, my prayer life really doesn't matter. No, Elijah knew his prayer life mattered. <laughs> That's why he said, God, it's got to rain. It's got to rain. I mean, because they got right with you. And then before that, God, it can't rain. They've apostatized. So our prayer life is important. Now, um, that brings us to a second consideration, and that is this. You say, okay, preacher, You already alluded to it. So how are you going to pray when you don't know for sure God's will? Are there some things that the Bible doesn't cover? Well, let me ask you a question. Does God heal in 2017 in answer to prayer? Does he do that? And the answer is, yeah, he does. Yeah, you're right. Does God heal everybody we pray for in 2017? And the answer is, no, he doesn't. Why? Because it's not God's will. Now, our family has that conundrum, if you want to call it that. My... um, My mother battled cancer for nine years, died a day before her 65th birthday. While she was battling cancer, I had a nephew get a brain tumor. It actually was um, uh, cancer of the primitive brain cells. So in other words, when he was born, he had brain cancer. It just didn't come out until he was two, as far as it began to have seizures and things. Now, when um, the doctors made a prognosis of my nephew, they said, 0% chance of living. Nobody's ever survived this kind of cancer. Six months, he, he'll be gone. That's just what it is. My mother, they said, I think they had, she had a 40% chance of survival. Now, my mother, God took her home. Day before 61st birthday, still this day, I don't know exa- understand all why. And my nephew's still alive. Now, here's the amazing thing. The same people that prayed for my nephew who survived are the same people who prayed for my mother. 
Now, you can, I can't come to any other conclusion but that it was God's will for my mother to go home the day before her 65th birthday. That was her time to go. Which, by the way, now really seems young. You know what I'm talking about? That is like really young. <laughs> Wasn't so young when I was back then, but it is young now. Okay, you understand. But, okay, thank you very much. I always appreciate somebody who thinks something's funny. Okay, good. Okay, good. I appreciate that. That'll, that'll keep me encouraged, okay? Uh, but, uh, but anyway. But, um, and then my nephew, who had a 0% chance of living, he, he lives. <laughs> you, there's no other way to explain that one as that must have been God's will too. In fact, when he graduated from college, his brain surgeon came because uh, his brain surgeon promised, if he graduates from college, I will come. Because my brother and sister-in-law came to confidence that God was going to heal their son. And they said, he, I, I don't think he ever expected to come to that graduation. But he said, if he graduates, I will come. And he made good his word. He was an old man when he came. And on the front of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was this, quote, it was a miracle. It was the quote of that unsaved neurosurgeon who admitted, this is a miracle. So my point simply, friends, is, okay, so here you are, we pray, and yet, and I will say with my, my, my nephew, if this will help you, when the deacons prayed and anointed him with oil, my brother said, as, as those men walked out of the room, he said, man after man looked at him in the eye and said, your son's going to live. They never had that confidence for my mother, but they did for the, my, my nephew. Now, why? What makes the difference? Okay, now this is very important. Like we said, it's not since he names it, we claim it. It's, it's what God's will is. Go to Romans chapter 8. I want to show you a verse in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 26. Romans 8, verse 26, and this might help us. So you say, preacher, what are you going to do when you don't know for sure what God's will is? Okay, like for instance in our case, was it God's will for us to have children or not? Well, obviously now we can look back and say yes. Okay, here it is. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit... Now, this verse, I'll be honest with you, is debated in, in commentaries, and it's a very fun verse to exegete, work through, and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'm, I'm still totally understanding the verse. But let's just still real basic. Let's just get real basic. Number one, we have an infirmity. We have infirmities. And one of the infirmities that we have is, anybody want to tell me what it is? Well, that is certainly one, but let's look at the verse. What does the verse say? We don't know what to pray for as we ought one of our infirmities is sometimes we don't know how to pray. Has ever been your case? God, how do I pray about this? Well, the Bible says there's an answer. You know what the answer is? But the Spirit. You say, well, preacher, if I don't really know what to pray for, what do I do? Ask God to show you. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. It doesn't matter who you are, friend. If you say, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for in this situation. I know I need to pray. Please give me wisdom. You know what he says? I'll do it. So you can pray according to my will. My brother and sister-in-law, when they were praying for their son, my nephew, came to the, the absolute confidence that, 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 in fact, my brother says as he was praying, what he wanted to pray was that when they would open up the skull and, and take the tumor out, that the tumor would be benign. He said that's what he wanted to pray. But he said the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him pray that way. He prayed that when they opened up the skull, now this is a father praying for his son, that would be the worst possible cancer it could possibly be. Now, would you think that would be an unusual way to pray for your son? And then he prayed that there would be no solution, there would be no human solution, and that God would heal him and get all the glory. And do you know what happened? When they opened him up, it was the worst possible cancer there could be. There were no living survivors, and God healed him. But my brother prayed that way before it happened because <laughs> he was looking for the Lord for wisdom. Lord, how do I pray? So um, 
You say, okay, preacher, I, I see that, but I've known some people who really made a mistake, okay? Let's not raise hands or say anything, but have you ever known somebody who said, oh, God's going to heal my mother. I know God's going to heal my mother, and she died. I think all of us know people like that. You say, well, preacher, what happened here? Okay, don't miss this. There's two things we need to realize when we're seeking God's will, when it's not clearly revealed in the word of God. There's two things. Number one, the heart is deceitful above all things. You can so want something to be God's will that you make it God's will when it's not. See, friends, the truth is, None of us ever came to confidence that our mother was going to live. None of us did. I mean, we wanted to. We could have worked it up, so to speak. You know what I'm talking about? But that's all human. In a moment, I'll give you the key to understanding it. But your own heart, you've got to watch your own heart. Because it's not your will. Whose will are we after? And the answer is God's will. I'll just be honest with you. I wanted exactly the three children God wanted me to have. I, wanted a, I didn't want an Ishmael, okay? Please understand. I wanted God's will. That's the idea. And so, uh, uh, so that's the first thing is your own heart. But there's a second problem. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, and no marvel, actually 11 verse 13, 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, and no marvel for even Satan himself is transformed, anybody know, into a angel of light. So your own heart can deceive you, but guess what? There's another being out there who wants to deceive you, and his name is Satan. Why? Because he wants you to think something's God's will so it doesn't happen and God gets discredited. You think the devil might be interested in discrediting God, and the answer is, yeah, he wants to undermine your faith. If you're out here and say, you know, preacher, I I prayed one time. I thought for sure God was going to answer it. Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to get on your knees and say, God, I need resolution on this thing because I don't want my faith hurt. Give me wisdom to understand, was that my own heart? Was that the enemy deceiving me? You will say, well, preacher, how can you tell the difference? How do you know the difference between your heart and how do you know the difference between the, the enemy and how do you know the difference between the Holy Spirit? Now, isn't that the question? It's the question. Well, this isn't going to totally answer it, but it might help. Okay, now I'm going to sound like I'm going a different direction, but I'm not. Okay, sometimes when you're really, really tired and you're driving, what do you do? Well, you know, you can turn on the air conditioning. You can eat jelly beans, you know, sunflower seeds. But after a while, none of it works. Now, when I'm desperate, you know what I go to? Talk radio. Talk radio. Now, not conservative talk radio, because conservative talk radio, I agree with. Now, I hope you weren't offended with that, but I agree with it. So what I listen to is liberal talk radio. Why? Because you think, I can't believe it. That is unbelievable. I can't believe anybody would believe that. That's, you know, please, again, I hope I'm not offending anybody. I, I realize I'm in California, but, but the point is, you know, my, now here it is. I'm driving down the road, and when I turn on conservative talk radio, you know what? Oh, that's Joe Paggs. Oh, that's Sean Hannity. You can't miss that New York Irish accent anywhere. Oh, that's Rush Limbaugh. I'm turning that thing off. You know what I'm talking about? Rush Limbaugh and Donald Trump, they kind of, kind of go together. You know, the alpha male thing. Okay, but anyway, I think they're the greatest thing. The Muhammad Ali. Well, anyway, okay, we'll leave it alone. Okay, I'm the greatest. Okay. But anyway, so um, you recognize their voice. Mark Levin. I mean, that weird voice he's got. Isn't that a weird voice? And you just pick it up. Oh, that's Levin. Yeah, better turn that thing off. That'll go south fast. Okay. You know, the point is you recognize their voice. That's my point. Sometimes, maybe I should start off with this. Sometimes it's preachers. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I recognize that preacher, you know, and, and you, most of them are out here in California, so I won't mention any names, but uh, I recognize that preacher. And you can pretty much know where they're coming from theologically, and sometimes I listen uh, there as well. But here's the point I'm making. You recognize their voice. She would say, well, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm taking learn to nurture so that you know what is his voice. My grandmother knew his voice. Now, I'm not talking about audible. Okay, we're not talking about audible. Because the Bible says God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in. Anybody know? Yeah, spirit. See, God connects with us spiritually, which means not sensory. You don't see God with physical eyes. You don't hear God with physical ears. Okay, that's where the charismatics get it wrong. You're, you're, it's not physical. It's spiritual. 
He connects with us right in our own hearts, spiritually. And this is very real. So, but the point is, you can tell the difference between your own heart, the enemy, and the Holy Spirit. You say, well, preacher, how? Okay, here it is. This is just phenomenal. Somebody taught me this. It's really great. 1 John 1, 5. God is light. And in him is. Anybody want to help me with the rest of the verse? No darkness. Don't you love those last two words? At all. If you came to me after the service and you said, now, Brother Van Gelderen, I've been here every service. Now, you claim to be called to preach. Now, I've heard you preach now all week long. Are you sure you're called to preach? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what my answer would be? Don't laugh. You're not supposed to laugh at this one. Okay, but anyway, okay. Uh, but anyway, okay. My point on this one, folks, is you, you wouldn't throw me. You would absolutely not throw me. You say, preacher, why? You, how do you know you're called to preach? How do you know? And you know what my answer to that would be? I absolutely just know. Why? God's light and in him is no darkness at all. The depths of my soul, I know that God made me to do what I'm doing. And if I did anything else, I would not have fulfillment. I just know it. See, that's, that's how God works. Sometimes uh, it comes when leading a young man, young lady into marriage together. When God leads a, a, a preacher boy uh, to take a, his first position. Or God leads a pastor to, to move to another position, another church. My dad was praying in the Calvary Baptist Church. He'd started the church. It was an unusual situation. It was actually a split off of another church. But it was, it was a split off where my dad was pastoring a church. And 11 of the 12 deacons called him one night and said, We've had it with the carnality. We're leaving. You want to come with us? He said, Sure. So they started a church. It was the largest church on the western slope of Colorado within a year or two. It was a remarkable thing. People getting saved. And, but he was, he was um, praying in the Calvary Baptist Church. And while he was praying, it was like the Holy Spirit said, uh, you're, gonna, you're, you're, gonna be, you're going to be, I'm taking you somewhere else. And even laid a specific location on his heart. Now, can the Holy Spirit do that? The answer is, in fact, he told him what church you're going to pastor. The amazing thing was they had just called another man. My dad, I thought for sure that was the Lord. You know what happened? The other guy turned him down. You know who the next guy they called? My dad. As soon as they called him, he knew, oh, God's in this. Now, I can't understand all that, but I'm just simply say this, friends. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I realize when we're just, so here's the point is, you say, well, preacher, I'm just kind of learning to pray with confidence. Well, let me encourage you to, to just you get saturated. In fact, what my, my, aunt, my uh, grandmother would often do, my aunt would, uh, told, my, uh, told us about, told my brother John particularly, about how my grandmother would um, operate when somebody would call her with a prayer request because she had literally people all across the country would call her with prayer requests because she, she became fairly well known as a prayer warrior. In fact, the manager of the Oakland A's would call my uh, grandmother, uh, that uh, Alvin Dark. I don't know if you ever heard that name. He, he, he had just gotten saved and had some needs in his family, and he, he, he would go to the, call my grandmother and say, would you pray? And, and uh, so it was very interesting. But here's what she would do. My aunt said she'd take her Bible, and she began to, to, to go over the promises that the Lord had used to speak to her heart before. Say, Lord, is there any promise you want me to claim? So, so if I could put this, the, um, so maybe we could put it this way. I've kind of said this the other night. How do, you, how do you know what to pray for, preacher? Well, number one, the Word of God. And number two, the Word of God. Did you get that? One's the inscribed Word and one's the indwelling Word. In the beginning was the Word. Word became flesh dwelt among us. Okay, so we're talking about the Lord Jesus who lives in us. So the point, friends, is simply this. That, um, that God can show us. He can give us wisdom how to pray. Now, why is that important? Because praying with confidence is saying, Lord, it's your will. God, it's your will. I'm claiming it's your will. And then you can, uh, what God is simply saying, we know that we have the petitions that we desire to him. Now, I'm going to put it this way. That's where the frame receiving before you receive. Now, my grandmother said, you've got it in 1988. But I did not receive that firstborn baby until 1995. But you have to understand, as far as God was concerned, I had it. Because notice what it says here. 
If you ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever, we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. In other words, they're on their way, but they may not get there in your timing, if that makes any sense. In the book of Mark, chapter number 11, it says, When ye uh, pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. It literally has the idea, believe that you've already got them, and you'll get them. It's terrible English, but it's phenomenal theology. What God is simply saying, believe you've already got it, and you'll get it. Because you got it. You say, no, wait a second, Richard, that doesn't make sense. That's because you're finite, and you have an infinite God trying to help you understand the infinite. I love Romans chapter number 4 when God says, He calleth those things which be not as though they were. Don't you just love that? God calls things that aren't as though they are. You say, why would he do that? Call something that isn't as though it is because it is. You didn't get it. So here's, here's, uh, here's Abraham. God comes to him and says, your seed's going to be as the sand of the seashore. He called something that wasn't. You know why? Abraham didn't have any kids. He called something that wasn't as though it was. Why? In God's eternal perspective, it was. It's a done deal. God, aren't you glad God calls things which be not as though they are? So the issue, friend, is, is um, find the will of God. And then pray according to his will. Now, I believe that once you, 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 you claim a verse or you, you claim a situation, it doesn't mean you stop praying about it. Once you claim it, you pray around it. And maybe I could use this as an illustration. Uh, there's a guy by the name of J.O. Frazier, engineer, smart guy. And God called him to go to the, a very ignorant people in the western mountains of China. They're a people group called the Lisu tribe. Uh, the Lisu are found in uh, Burma or Myanmar as well as China. Uh, they were found in that area where the Burma Road went through for some of you World War II guys. Uh, the Burma Road went right through what they call Lisu land. Before uh, World War II, J.O. Frazier went to these people. They lived, you know those mountains you see in China where they're like straight like a cliff? You know, you see those mountains with raging rivers coming through the valley? That was Lisu land. Those people lived on the side of those mountains. And he would begin to trudge up and down those mountains preaching the gospel. And it was very difficult work. Their, their religion was very satanic. There was a lot of darkness and a lot of demonic influence. And people feared the demons. And people would get saved. And then it was like the devil would just go after them. And he just saw, it's like, it was like three steps forward, four steps back. I mean, that's how he felt. Well, God began to teach him a couple of truths, began to teach him about how to, the victory over Satan that we need to claim based on Ephesians, and he began to learn some wonderful truths. But he also began to learn what we might call the prayer of faith that we learn there in James chapter number 5, confident praying. So he was on a vacation down in China and at a co-worker's house, and he got on his knees. He felt, now this was not just a you know, couple of weeks. This is literally, literally years. Bringing him to this point where he said, okay, God. He prayed for hundreds of Lisu families to come to Jesus and then thanked the Lord for hearing his prayer. He got up of his knees believing that God had answered his prayer. Now, at that point, his converts were probably on two hands. <laughs> Hundreds. Somebody asked him later, why didn't you pray for thousands? I love his answer. God didn't give me faith to pray for thousands, but he did for hundreds. He prayed for hundreds of Lisu family to come to Jesus. And then he began, he, he began to do the same thing as he'd done, going up and down those hills, preaching the gospel. After two years, nothing had changed. And he got on a piece of paper and was going to write his mission director and offer services for another field, although he did it with a heavy heart, fully believing that the hundreds were coming. But he felt ethically he had to, to do this, but he never finished the letter. Word began to come in from all over those mountains, villages he preached in many times. This whole village has turned to Jesus. This whole village has turned to Jesus. This whole village has turned to Jesus. Before he died, it wasn't hundreds of Lisu families that came to Jesus. It was thousands. If you've ever read the books by Isabel Kuhn, she came and overlapped with J.O. Frazier, and her books will tell you the remarkable work God did among the Lisu people. You'll fall in love with the Lisu tribe. When the communists took over China and expelled foreign missionaries, and I believe the late 1940s, 
it was said that communist China called the Lisu tribe the Christian tribe. Somebody came to J.O. Frazier after all this remarkable move of God, and they said, oh, Mr. Frazier, oh, Mr. Frazier, God has answered your prayer. You know what he said? Oh, no. God answered my prayer two years ago in that little room in China. You see, friends, now he will say that once he got that, here's my point I was going to make. He said he prayed around those. He would never ask God for the hundreds again, but he prayed for Holy Spirit conviction. He prayed for Satan to be pushed out of those lives and the the blindness to be uh, the God of this world and blind their minds to be defeated. I'm sure he prayed for circumstances to bring to people to Jesus. He prayed around the request, but he never asked for the hundreds because he already got that. And so tonight, simply confident praying, you say, preacher, this seems way beyond me. Well, where I learned this was a book that opened my eyes as I began to study the Word of God. I began to say, that is in the Bible. It's a book by the man by the name of S.D. Gordon called Quiet Talks on Prayer. Anybody ever heard of it or heard of him? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, just front row, which makes sense. S.D. Gordon was a remarkable man of prayer, and, and certainly his book stirred my own heart. But we found out a few years ago, after, this was well after my grandmother went home to heaven, all the big-name preachers would come down to Miami, Florida back in the day. And there'd Bible conferences all over town in December, January, and February. <laughs> Sounds like a good time to have a Bible conference in Miami. What about, what do you think? But um, back before air conditioning, those preachers would come down there, and S.D. Gordon was one of them. My grandmother went to his meetings. She was just a young woman, probably the age of some of you in this room that are younger, and just getting going in life, 20s or 30s. And she heard those messages on prayer, and it transformed her life. And she realized that's how you pray. You can pray with confidence. Now, let me just simply say, sometimes we don't know how to pray. Is it wrong to say, Lord, if it be your will? Well, there's a guy, remember this guy in the Bible? He said, Lord, um, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. And you know what Jesus said? I will. (laughs) Be thou whole. It's not wrong to say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. But, Lord, if you wanted to, you could do this. That's not wrong. Please understand. That's not wrong. But I am saying I think what God wants us all to do is to get with confidence. God, you said it. This is your will. God, I believe you want to do it. Confident praying. So that simply means, friends, that every single one of us in this room, our prayers can make a difference. Because if you know the will of God, you come into union with the will of God, and you won't let go of that thing, and you say, I know I've got it. God says, okay, you've got it. And it will be, you will, it will be manifested to you in, in my time. But it's already done. You've already got it. He's calling something which be not as though it was. Now, I'll tell you, friends, the thing my burden is as you walk out the door in just a moment is to realize my prayer life is important. Everybody's prayer life's important. I think about my grandmother's prayers, and I'm convinced of this much. I really don't believe I'd be in the ministry. In any measure of blessing I've had, I believe a large portion of it goes to my grandmother. Because she wrestled that thing through. <laughs> you know what that means? It's like my dad, right? Not too before long he died. He said, okay, Jim. He said, I prayed for you, and I prayed for your kids. But he says, now it's your job to pray beyond that. No, he's right. I got to pray for my, I got to pray like my grandmother prayed. I got to pray for my grandkids to come. And you do too. And it's important. And God will bless it. So praying with confidence. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.